Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I'm here with my co-founder on Agenda Media, Tala Lambert. Hello, Tala. Hey, Ange. On today's agenda, we'll be looking at how women with a disability are disproportionately experiencing violence, which comes via a new report just released this morning. And we're going to take a look at the scientists who are copying abuse just for attempting to educate the public. It really kind of speaks to a lot that's currently wrong. Thank you for listening. How are you going, Tala? Good, Ange. Sun's shining. The weather's been a bit ridiculous this week, but... It has. Well, I mean, we didn't get your storm that you experienced up on the north coast there, (laughs) but I expect it could be coming very soon. But speaking of storms, there are other storms. So take us through. Let's get started on wins (laughs) this week. What was your win? Well, this isn't quite so stormy. This is a good one. So my win for women this week is Anjali Sharma, who has been named as a finalist for the International Children's Climate Prize in recognition of her work leading other students in a class action against the Federal Environment Minister, Susan Lee. Anjali is 17 years old and she's a high school student from Melbourne and she was the lead litigant in a class action, including seven other young students that asked the court to prevent Lee from approving a proposal to expand the Vickery coal mine in northern New South Wales. You know, I mean, we've seen so many young climate trailblazers in recent years, but they never fail to just make me feel so invigorated and and happy and encouraged about the future. But Anjali is a particular powerhouse. Have you seen her work as well, Ange? Well, I have. I mean, I've seen it, obviously, what we've done on Women's Agenda, and I've seen her quoted in other media as well, and I think amazing at 17. I mean, I'm always overwhelmed by how well these teenagers speak on this issue, but then there's also that sense of how devastating it must be for them as well and to see how adults around them have been unable to solve these problems, how adults around them are not even willing to kind of get together and go to the talks that are designed to solve the problem. So I definitely think she's impressive. And that court case was just so interesting earlier this year being a world first and that idea that the environment minister has a duty of care to protect young people from climate change. Yeah, that that was actually the ruling was really unbelievable. But, yeah, well done to Anjali. I think it is very rightful that she is named as a finalist for this prize. I wouldn't be surprised if she wins. But I think it is really so great to see young people taking a stand here. And, And you're right. I mean, they don't really have any other choice at this point but to be involved and to advocate for their futures because God knows politicians are not doing it for them. Yeah. And a little like side note to that story. So the Federal Environment Minister, Susan Lee, she is currently appealing the federal court's decision that she has a duty of care towards young people. (laughs) (laughs) But in the meantime, I believe her duty of care remains intact. It's a complex legal issue. So in September, she did approve the extension of the coal mine in northwest New South Wales, which did spark that court case. I believe there's been other coal mines in the works. So 
what I loved about this was that it got such world attention as well. People were looking to Australia saying, look what these kids are doing in Australia. Look how they're using the legal system to make change. And we've also seen similar approaches replicated internationally as well, where young people, again, using the legal system in their country to stop new coal mines from being approved or to basically sue giant polluters over what they're doing and over their future. So it's yeah, interesting. And it comes as the school climate strikes are occurring as well. How embarrassing is it, though, for our government as well that they have to fight such things, you know, and that Susan Lee has to fight a case and say that she doesn't have a duty of care to, to young people to do that? Like, I mean, it's embarrassing. Yes. Well, they're probably finding it hard to sleep at night leading up to the talks that will be occurring in the coalition party room this weekend trying to negotiate some kind of uh, reasonable and respectable deal, especially as we've seen News Corp has kind of switched sides on where they stand on climate change, which has also been amusing to watch this week. But my win for women is kind of along a similar uh, vein. And and I started with the idea of a storm at the beginning of the conversation and I might say that this might be a storm in a teacup. I don't know. That feels like it. <laughs> I see where you're going. <laughs> you see where I'm going because you know what it's going to be. I don't usually relate much to the Queen, but she is irritated and she's irritated for a very good reason. She has been overheard on camera noting her irritation at world leaders who are not attending the climate talks happening in Glasgow in a couple of weeks. So that would be world leaders like Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who has said he is unlikely to attend due to concerns about uh, having to quarantine again, given he spent a lot of time in quarantine this year. So he's worried about that quarantine situation. Um, He does experience a very different quarantine to what most people coming into the country experience, I might just add there. So the Queen was overheard saying, and I think she said this to uh, Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, and also to a Welsh politician who was there as well. And she said, I've been hearing all about COP and we still don't know who is coming. No idea. We only know about people who are not attending. And it's really irritating when they talk, but they don't do. So you know, we don't know if she was speaking about Morrison. It's just kind of presumed that he might be in this kind of little special club of people who are pretty irritating on this issue at the moment. (laughs) But the Walsh politician actually went back to her and said, you know, especially given what your grandson had to say to the BBC today, and that grandson was Prince William who noted that he, he spoke out about the space race that is occurring between certain billionaires at the moment and he said that we need some of the world's greatest brains actually trying to fix and repair the planet, not trying to find the next place to live. And I might add that it also follows Prince Charles, who has personally taken issue with Scott Morrison's excuse for not attending as well. He was quite shocked when a reporter said that Morrison has said he won't be attending due to the quarantine situation. And Prince Charles basically responded that, you know, well, this is our only shot at saving the world from global catastrophe. You know, these leaders need to show up. (laughs) Do you know what makes me particularly happy about this story (laughs) is that just imagine being Scott Morrison today and thinking about if, if this is about him and that's a reference to him, think about how upset he would be that the Queen had said that about him. Like this is a guy that literally has a picture of her framed in his office. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and now 
because of his actions, he's actually, you know, causing frustration to probably the person that he respects most in the world. Um, And I think that's what causes me the most enjoyment. Yes, he's upset the Queen. All right, so now to uh, some other stories and not great news. We want to share this story that came out with a new report coming from the Royal Commission into Violence, Abuse, Neglect and Exploitation of People with Disability, and that is that women with disability make up uh, nearly half of all domestic violence victim survivors in Australia. It is hugely disturbing to hear this and how significant this group is amongst that Tala, what did you make of this news that came out today? Oh, I mean, short of just feeling absolutely sick and shattered. I mean, the statistics there are so horrifying. Clearly, so much more action needs to be taken here. And I think it is one of those issues that sadly receives too little attention. I mean, I think domestic violence in general receives too little attention, but when it comes to marginalised communities, I think it's even worse. And the inquiry heard that 90% of, of women with an intellectual disability have experienced sexual abuse. Like that is beyond words. Um, and 68% were subjected to this abuse before they reached the age of 18. You know, when it comes to experiences of Indigenous women um, with disability, the impacts are even more pronounced. According to Thelma Schwartz, who's the Principal Legal Officer at Queensland Indigenous Family Violence Legal Service, she said it was at a national crisis level. And the inquiry heard that Indigenous women are 34 times more likely than non-Indigenous women to be hospitalised due to family and domestic violence. So I hope that so much more is done here. I don't know how much airtime or consideration was put into this space when the government announced and moved ahead with its Safety at Work Summit. What we need now is some very, very tangible measures in kind of rectifying this situation and and clearly it's going to take a long while and it's going to take a lot of funding, likely. It's going to take a lot of expertise Yeah, I mean, I I always knew that it was a very profound crisis. I had no idea of the the full weight of it, I guess. Mm. And it's clear that it needs very specific measures. It can't just be, you know, part of a greater response regarding domestic violence in Australia. It needs specific and very, very, very well-funded interventions I can see this quote here from Jen Hargrave, which I think is really great. She's a senior policy officer at Women with Disabilities Victoria, and she discusses the gap when it comes to developing policies relating to women with disability in Australia. She says, we are often popped in one paragraph or one dot point or increasingly told that policies take an intersectional lens and that should be trusted that they will deliver particular drivers around ableism. She says one of the things we don't see happening is really constructive cross-portfolio discussions around women's policy and disability policy and other relevant policies. So that clearly needs to be on the agenda and that change needs to happen immediately. And um, like you say, Tyler, these figures, like I had no idea the extent of these figures and how high they would be. This is seriously disturbing. As I said, I just don't really have the words here and I hope that the government doesn't just fall back on words here because I think that we've seen too much of that. We've seen too much lip service to certain issues and no real measures taken. And I think with something like this, as grave as it is, swift action needs to be taken. Yeah. 
If you're someone you know needs to contact family and domestic violence support services, you can reach the 1-800-RESPECT national helpline. That's 1-800-737 or 732. You can also reach the Women's Crisis Line at 1-800-811-811. So on to another story this week, and this is one that I reported on earlier, and it comes following a study by the Australian Science Media Centre, which then got uh, Nature magazine to basically replicate this study internationally. Again, this pulled up some pretty shocking statistics for me as well. It was just a small sample, but this was all about basically scientists who get quoted in the media. Now, I'll say from the outset, there was no real gender differences that they found, just a small sample, but in saying that some of the case studies that they highlighted and the people that they quoted along with this report were women and and noted the, you know, sexually explicit language that was used in the abuse that was thrown at them. So around one in five researchers report receiving death threats or threats of physical or sexual violence after speaking about COVID-19 in the media. One in five. Like what the hell is wrong with us when that happens? When scientists get out there and share their expertise and share their data and share the things that they've spent their entire careers researching and reporting on and try to educate the public and that is what they get in return. I just look at that and I think why would you ever want to speak out in the media which then causes massive issues that we might get people not speaking out in their media and not wanting to educate the public and not want to share their expertise. And then it's like, well, who will come in and fill those gaps? Well, the people who don't have the expertise in the first place. So I just found this so disturbing. And so one of the people quoted in that was Margaret Hellard, who's the Deputy Director at the Burnett Institute. And she said that so often you can receive these threats on social media and, you know, you and I have received some pretty atrocious language on social media as well. And it can be easy to dismiss it and you do and you look at it and you think, yeah, uh, yeah, whatever, that's just like some troll, who cares? But it really does have a huge impact and that's what she said. She's like it does have a huge impact on people's lives and especially for women. And so she actually went and reported a death threat that she received. She took it to the media and she said, it wasn't because, you know, she felt like she couldn't handle it or that she was actually particularly upset about it. She said she wanted to do that because she needed to send a message to younger women coming up behind her that it was not okay. We know people get trolled all the time. I think, you know, people in media, while it, it shouldn't be accepted, it's more tolerated, I guess, in some way. Um But I think, yeah, as you say, when you're talking about someone who has dedicated their entire career to trying to help people and really just working towards facts, you know, it's not opinions where they're concerned. They are using everything that they know, all of their expertise to try to inform the public and to do a public service and to have that met with such vitriol. And, you know, the fact that she had death threats is disgusting. I, I wish there was kind of um, stricter measures around it and, and what, what could be done to kind of stamp it out. I just don't think that there's there's enough here. It's clearly a very loud and vocal crowd on social media. Yeah. Yeah. But for the scientists, I'm just like, go and hug a scientist or, yeah. you know, in a socially distant way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they probably they probably really don't want to hug you because they are a scientist. Um, so <laughs> they, know, they know what is going on. 
<laughs> in terms of support for a scientist, there were a couple of suggestions shared. And that was that if you do see one of these posts go out there, even if you haven't seen any negative comments on it, just go out and write an encouraging comment on that news story or social media page. And, you know, if you can see someone being trolled, um, go and ask if they need any help and actually go and listen to them and hear their concerns and just show some support. That's one of the best things that we can do. All right, which I think leads us to our fin hack segment. Our new fin hack segment is supported by Superhero, which is supporting this podcast and helping us make it happen and helping us to keep publishing and doing what we do on Women's Agenda. So Superhero is an app that makes investing accessible and affordable for everyone. So in this segment, we do like to talk about a story that has really caught our attention during the week, and then we like to apply a fin hack to it. So the story today might feel like a bit of a longbow, but it was a very popular story that we shared on Women's Agenda this week. It was about Elon Musk and his not-so-great friend, uh, Jeff Bezos. (laughs) So these two have long been in a bit of a a war with each other. So these are the billionaires. They're both in this space race. They're both kind of jockeying for the top position, the world's richest person. Elon Musk does hold that title, but it could shift at any time. But the two of them have had kind of this bit of Twitter spat thing. And by all accounts, it seems like they don't even talk to each other. And I saw this and I read this and I just thought, the two richest men in the world who are kind of known for changing industries and for having so much wealth and so much influence and power that they can really go and address some really big key issues as they both are um, individually trying to do the space thing and yet they don't talk to each other. And, And that's what the reports are is that they don't talk to each other. I actually heard Elon Musk speaking at a conference a couple of weeks back and he made that that comment like he was asked by the interviewer do you talk to Jeff Bezos and his comment was well we do via subtweets and those <laughs> subtweets are basically where they're taking little digs at each other so in this case uh Jeff Bezos uh put out a tweet um very self-congratulatory tweet where he found a 1999 cover uh that was labeled Amazon bomb was basically declaring that, you know, Amazon would never stand the test of time. It would never be successful. So, yep, he got that reporter good because that reporter certainly got it very wrong. Bezos said um, that, you know, you need to listen and be open and don't let anybody tell you who you are and that this was just one of the many stories telling us all the ways that they were going to fail. Jeff Bezos notes that Amazon is one of the world's most successful companies and has revolutionised two entirely different industries. Elon Musk replied to that one with a silver medal emoji referencing the fact that Jeff is the second richest man. Not have as much money as him. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. The fact that they need to communicate that way and assert themselves that way um, but yet don't have any real constructive communication behind the scenes when they both have such immense power um, and capacity to to enact real change in society is just such a waste. And and also, I don't know. Like, did Elon Musk like send that thinking people would just be like, "Yeah, Elon, what a rad guy!" Like, really? I, I mean, mean, I, mean like, I thought it was pretty funny. So, <laughs> did you really? 
I laughed because my partner showed it to me and I just, I do find him hilarious. I do find him um, atrociously irresponsible. I do think he's doing some incredible things um, in industry and um, I have invested in Tesla in the past and I am interested in it and I like what he's doing. I do have an issue with that idea of, you know, this space race thing of trying to get to Mars and, you know, I just think imagine what these men could do if they applied their billions, if they applied their brilliance, if they applied their you know industry defining capacities and capabilities to some of the biggest problems that are actually occurring here on earth if they actually collaborated in some kind of meaningful way how do you reconcile the fact that they're not really doing that when you are purposely avoiding trying to go bigger trying to be collaborative trying to you know, get on top of of things in a really meaningful way when you can you, when you can join forces when you have enough communication with a bloke to trade Twitter barbs, but you can't then kind of get in a room and go, what could we do? And I think in that story that you wrote, you know, you mentioned Mackenzie Scott, who's Jeff Bezos's ex ex wife, um, and also Melinda Gates who have actually done the very opposite, who have used their billions to come together and look at, you know, a very strategic way of distributing that money and what's going to be meaningful there. And the way that they are approaching philanthropy is just in such a different manner. Yeah. I mean, I I agree to extent. I like to see something human in them. I guess that it's that sense of like, maybe he's open in his pettiness and <laughs> yeah, it did definitely look stuck compared to, and this is how we shared it across Instagram as well, how billionaire women actually teaming up and doing something quite different. So leads us to our fin hack segment this week and <laughs> in a roundabout way. But we did want to talk about how you can invest in a way that aligns with your values. And this is something that I am actually really passionate about and it's something that I really try to do and I live by the idea that, you know, you don't have to be wealthy to really try and make your money matter. And we do have the opportunity to use what we have to put it towards things that we support and can feel comfortable with and believe in and can see as leading to a better future. Like I say, without having to be a millionaire or a billionaire in this case. But in that sense, the first place that I sort of start, I remember a few years ago, was just through my superannuation fund. And you can just go and ask this question of your super fund and just go in and check them out. First of all, you can move your super to another fund that uh, will better align with your values. But you might find that even in your existing super fund, they might have a fund already dedicated to aligning itself with the SDG goals. There might be some kind of green fund there. There might be, they might even call it an ethical fund, whatever it is. You can do that as a first move just to know that what you're investing in your superannuation isn't going towards, you know, fossil fuels or is not, you can go and do that. That's a really quick and easy step. And it doesn't matter how much super you have in that fund. It can be entirely small. I can tell you that when you make that shift, it feels so empowering that you are doing something and you have at least a little bit of capacity to make that decision and to make that money matter. And then you can apply that more to investing as well, uh, like with with some of the different investment apps that you will find that they do have opportunities where you can just simply go for ethical funds or green funds or funds that align, whatever it is. 
You can also do it as a means to pick and select. And that's what I do when I invest. I don't invest a huge amount of money in the stock market, but I do. And for me, it isn't, it is actually more about trying to support companies that I feel align with my values that I might look at it in terms of like how many women are on the board or how diverse their board is or something that they're innovating in that I think could be really unique and interesting for the future. I definitely look for companies that are ethical, that are green, that are sustainable. Like I say, it doesn't have to be a huge amount of money, but it feels so empowering to do that. And not only in terms of how you're moving your money and like I say, to to really position it to to do hopefully something good, but also for educating yourself as well, for for learning more about these companies and for learning more about what matters to you and what you will look for in a company because that may then go and change everything else about how you consume or spend or whatever it is. I think the important thing there, and you kind of touched on that, Angie, is that like many people unknowingly invest in companies whose products conflict with their personal values. And it's easy to do so because so often, you know, when you first um, move into the workforce, you're assigned a superannuation fund. And, you know, as a young person, you're not often kind of dissecting that and thinking about these things. But as soon as you start to think about where you want your money to go, what you want your future to look like, what you want the world's future to look like, it is important to kind of make that step and and to invest in the things and the, the companies that you feel will best execute that. So thanks again to Superhero for supporting the podcast and for bringing us this week's FinHack. You can learn more about your options at superhero.com.au or you can download the Superhero app. Okay, Tyler, I think that is a wrap for this week. Any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with? Any key recommendations, something else that is going on in your life at the moment. So I'm on to my second season of Ted Lasso. I think I've promoted it on this mm-hmm. podcast before. Yeah, I've still I, actually, it. <laughs> I think it's a little bit, it's a bit of a sad start to the second season, which upsetting me a little bit, but I'm mm-hmm. hoping it will come good. I just, I miss those big kind of belly laugh moments that were in the first season. Um, but I have full faith. It'll come, it'll come good again. What about you? I haven't really had any opportunities to watch anything. So what I can say is that I've been purchasing a lot of great kids' books. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. We did just want to do a shout-out for a program that we are supporting at the moment through Dell. We're supporting it because it's all about female entrepreneurship and we love female entrepreneurship and we want to see more female founders doing their thing and getting the support that they need to do big and groundbreaking work and maybe get up those rich lists and maybe, you know, you can have your own little subtweet wars with each other when you get to positions one and two there, just like Jeff and Elon. So our partner over at Dell, they are currently running the Dell's Dream Tech Competition. So you share your business story and you share what makes it unique and how technology would help you reboot that story. And you go in the running to win $40,000 worth of tech solutions. So that's definitely worthwhile. I would love $40,000 of tech solutions. I can think of all the things that we could solve right now, including with this podcast. So go and check that one out. That's Dell's Dream Tech Competition. Thank you so much, Tyler. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder that you can subscribe to our daily newsletter and receive all these stories and this conversation and more there and you can receive those stories as they come out. 
Um, a big thank you to our podcast supporter, Superhero, for bringing us the FinHack segment and to making our publishing possible. And you can also go and check out our second podcast, The Leadership Lessons, featuring interviews with different women on how to lead for the critical decade ahead. Thank you for listening.